Lo-Fi Top 5, buddy. How are you? We are back. I'm great, buddy. Uh, I am so excited to see you back here. Uh, you got you had like a nice little vacation. You, you did like a little driving around thing, right? Yeah, we head on over to uh, Rhode Island. And uh, I just accomplished visiting the 47th of these 50 United States with three three to go. That's um, that's really good. Rhode Island, neither a road nor an island. Discuss. Yeah, there were islands, little <laughs> ones, really little ones. There was like a goat island or something. Yeah. It was very pretty. Some very big houses. Oh, yeah. Very big. Yeah, yeah. It's a, ni- it's a nice part of the country. But that's not what we're here. Uh, why we're here this week is because we are talking about the top five director chats, which is the top five directors that you want to sit down with and have a one-on-one chat with considering a specific film. So not the director themselves, but a particular piece of cinema that they have put together. Yeah, it's it's to, to answer those unanswered questions, to to get the the real the true Hollywood story, the behind the music, the before all that, and then and then and that's when everything started to go a bit wrong. Right. Moment. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How was putting your list together for this this week, Jer? Mm, ups and downs. Uh, I I started off with sort of a. Oh, these are my favorite movies, so I got to talk to these people. And then I was like, eh, do I? Do I? And I came to the conclusion, no, I did not. I'm not to say some of my favorites aren't in my list, but more of a, I wanted to get more interesting conversations. So instead, I went looking for movies mostly that I liked, although there are some that are completely on the other end of the spectrum that I wanted to know more about or understand a reaction to or some stuff like that. How about you, JT? I think you've had a, you also had a bit of a ups and downsy kind of thing. Yeah. Beep beep. You hear that? That's the struggle bus, Jeremy. That's what that is. Was um, it backing up? Oh, it was running over me back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> so here's what happened. What happened is I was like, this is so cool and I love this category. And then I started putting my list together and I was like, this is really easy. And then I read my list and I was like, you fanboy. And it was, <laughs> it was just like me wanting an excuse to talk to a bunch of the directors I like. And so I wound up putting a list of directors I could not use together, like were not allowed on the list. And because by my self-imposed thing made this tremendously more difficult. <laughs> can I ask, um, are, will there be a point in the, in the evening where I can... Guess at that list? Yeah. So when we finish, because I don't want to do anything before the top five, but before Pong, I have them written down and we can 100%, you can you can come guessing because- How, how many are there? Uh, I think I actually wound up with, let me count super fast, uh, one, two, three, four, five, which only makes sense. Five. Yep. But the, you know, that's that, that's a good number of things. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's almost like that was intentional. It totally was not intentional. No, not at all? It really wasn't, no. Uh, I've got three guesses already. I'm trying to figure out if I can figure out the last two before we even start. Because I would really like to. I'm I'm pretty confident. Oh, there's yeah, that's another one. I'm at four right now. I'm writing them down so we can compare notes. Okay. So yeah, we'll see when, when we get to it. So the the I will say that this is because you're doing the guessing early. I'll give you one little clue, which is one of them was on the list, and I had to take off the list at least for now. 
because as per usual, I don't have a fifth entry today. I have two that I didn't prepare for, but I'm going to talk about (laughs) one of them and I'll be fine. It'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, So Jeremy, while you were on vacation, did that, did you have time to build a rubric? Do you have a spreadsheet? I did. It's it's my most interesting spreadsheet to date, in my own opinion, of wow. dull spreadsheet categories. Okay. I'm excited. Not because of any one thing so interesting, because it was the one time I knew going into it that because of the variety and disparity in how I was approaching my choices, that the math just wouldn't work. So my categories, and then I'll explain what I mean about the math in a second. Uh, as always, we got movie and we got cast. Love them. I put rewatchability back in here because I felt it was a factor. Deserves to be there. I put in hidden stories. Like if I were out with this uh, man or woman at a dinner and I could say, hey, tell me something that I, you know, I'll go into the cone of silence. I will never tell any living soul that story of that thing that happened on set. Tell me that one story. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, That's great. So, so again, this is just a gut feeling like, is there a hidden story kind of thing? Yeah. And then my last one was, how surprised was the director to the reaction of the mo- uh, of fans, audiences to the movie? Like if it was a bomb, were they, ex- were they like, yeah, I kind of knew this was garbage. Or if it was an all-time classic, you know, AFI, whatever, were they like, yeah, I, I knew I was making one of them. Interesting. I love the last category. I love that. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, strong. But here's here's where it gets interesting because I got some of the lows. The like so the whole range is uh, from a low of a twenty seven to a peak of fifty five. Okay. And the range of the ones I've included in, in my top five, I've got one at like a thirty two, and I got one at a fifty five. So I've got you know because. If, for example, the movie's a one, and I have one where I gave it a literal one, <laughs> it doesn't score well, but I'll be damned if I'm not talking about it. Well, right. That was, yeah, that, that's so, yeah. We wound up in a very similar place because I, I just didn't know, like, I didn't want to just fanboy over people or certain types of art. And that led me into uh, getting too negative, and then it was like, but I want there to be a balance of negative and positive. So that last one is an interesting category because it could have flipped some in a really interesting way that would have pushed some to the top that would have been more interesting. I like it. I like I, it's a, that's a good that's a heck of a good rubric there, friend. Thanks, man. I want to ask you a question on your current four leaning into five. How many of them are uh, bottom of the barrel versus? Uh, triumphant performances or, or whatnot. So it, it wound up flipping to, I, I have quite a few negatives on my pond list, but I wound up with only one negative in my top five. Oh, same. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Shall we, shall we Shawshank something? I think we should. If you have one, do you have a Shawshank, which for those of you who don't know, uh, we Shawshank one pick every week. If we can, Shawshank being the most rewatchable movie. So do you have a categorically defining director chat that you must have, Jeremy? I believe I do. I believe I have one. I also have one. Do you want to go for You go first with everything this week. So are we going to guess? Do I get to guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 1998. Oh, sorry. I wanted, I, I'm i going very slowly in case we pick the same one. So is your movie also from 1998? I have it down as 1999, so we'll see. We'll see. Metacritic of 71? They are different movies. Keep going. Different movies, okay. 
IMDb 196th of all time and a perfect 55 out of 55 on my little spreadsheet. Um, all right. I don't think I have this anywhere. So give me the five words. Did you keep the rug? Oh, Big Lebowski. That's the one. Yeah. You know, accepted. Hard stop. Yep. Shawshank. Cool. Cohen Brothers, for those uh, unaware. Yeah. The one person who listens to this podcast and doesn't know the Cohen <laughs> Brothers directed The Big Lebowski. Now you know. Now you know. Uh, it's funny that I think <clears throat> the only reason I want to bring, I want to talk about it for two seconds is. I feel like I know so much about that that I, I don't know that I have a lot of questions, which I think is why it maybe didn't cross my mind, but it's a great Shawshank and I totally accept that. Cool. I, I feel like similarly, like I know a ton about the making of this and all that, but it, it fell into my like, man, I'll bet the stories are just so good. hearing them at, at like, oh yeah, and when Torturo did this, we, we were all cracking up or whatever, right? Like, I kind of want to hear that kind of stuff. That's fair. How about you? Uh, mine is from 1999. May 19th, okay. uh, with a 51 on Metacritic. Okay. Nothing you have five words? Five words? Oh, yeah. No, I do. Yeah, this is my pong. Okay. So this is uh, my five words were, Misa has some questions, bruv. Uh, my five words were, do trade disputes interest you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Phantom Menace... I, I I don't want to talk about it. It's just I, I mean I have a lot of I have a lot of questions, but I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I the reason I didn't Shawshank it by the way is there's this famous clip I don't know I could probably surface it somewhere of this actual reaction moment of them watching the first cut of it and like everybody in the room sort of looking to George to be like so um, is that what we're going with. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly how I feel about it and why I don't think it needs any more airtime. Which means we get to go straight into the top five, which means you get to lead the way, sir. Okay. 1997. Okay. A Metacritic score of 28. Whoa. So you know where I'm starting? I do. You know, I like to end on on the positive note. So we start on the negative note. An Excel spreadsheet of 32.5. I will give you... It's going to be hard with the cast. I think it's very guessable. So enjoy. Uh, Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. And you got it? Batman. Yeah, this is um, uh, why can't Batman and Robin? Yeah. Okay. So this was in my Pong and I removed it from my Pong and then almost put it back in. Please continue. <laughs> my five words were Did you break the ice? Uh, mine would have definitely been Holy Rusted Metal Batman. <laughs> I actually think that line, by the way, is from Batman Forever. I think so the right. other of Schumacher's. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Uh, and my topic here is, you know, without because look, the director is Joel Schumacher, who's made a lot of great movies. But in this case, the topic's something on the line of, so what was it like to ruin comic book movies for half a decade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, which which is what happened, right? Because even so, after this, we end up with X Men reviving everything. Yep. But if you actually look at the timeline, so Batman and Robin was 97, Batman Forever was a few years earlier. And so we had this total dearth of decent comic book movies throughout the 90s, which I would say is mostly attuned to Schumacher taking it way to camp. It's, it's not just campy comic book, which I don't mind, actually. Like, it's a, it, I thought his directing style was kind of interesting, but the story 
was so awfully bad. And for a director of his caliber to let something like this out of the can is all of my questioning, right? And it's the stuff you'll never get in an interview. Um, you know, you're never going to hear that. But like, I'm sure he had a vision and in his vision was creating this perfect comic book movie, right? It's like, this is like the first of the Avengers style movies. I got everybody in this one. Yeah. Right. There's Poison Ivy. There's Bane. There's Mr. Freeze, Batman and Robin. Yep. You still got a cool Alfred. Like, yeah. Great cast. Yeah. Clooney. Right. Well, that leads a question, though. So funny enough, it's one of my uh, dearest friend's birthday. It was this past weekend. And I wound up talking to him on his birthday and he wound up watching Batman Forever because of our conversation at like one o'clock in the morning. But um, very quickly, best Batman in your opinion, best Bruce Wayne in your opinion. Go. Um, best Bruce Wayne is probably... I, I'm 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 torn as I say this between Christian Bale because he just nails the, the Playboy Bruce Wayne and Kilmer, who I think is sort of the that's the right answer. Kilmer's yeah. the right answer. Yeah, Kilmer's the right Kilmer? answer for Wayne. <laughs> and for best Batman, I mean, it's very hard for me to get away from the nostalgia of Keaton is my Batman, and I would go with, and I would go with Bale. Right, I, which I don't really have a problem with. Like, they're just they're such different takes on the role. Yeah, right. Keaton is what actually Keaton's Batman in '89 and, and what was it '91 um, is sort of the end of Batman being Batman just got a lot grittier in the in the '80s, right? With uh, with Watts's I mean, that's when you had the beginning of all the Batman graphic novels, which took him down a much, much darker path. Yeah. So Nolan's Batman or Bale's Batman channels that so perfectly. But Keaton sort of is the more old school. I'm a guy in a cool suit with lots of lots of stuff I can do. And yeah, Cape Crusader kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, this is a good pick. I like this pick. I had to ask that question because I knew there'd be a generational gap. But I think that's that's an interesting one, though, because I respect Ke your Keaton pick the way you respect my Bale pick. Like, it's not adversarial. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I totally – because I can see it, right? I think we all agree that it wasn't Clooney, period. No. Although I would have loved to have seen Clooney in a better Batman movie. Like, yeah, I agree. I don't think I could see Clooney in the, um, the, 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 the Nolan movies. But as an example, like 1997, Clooney could have been handling the current era, like Justice League movies, pretty well. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I like that actually a lot. Like I could see Snyder, the Snyder Cut with Clooney in it, pretty straightforward. I think I think actually uh, Affleck did a a much better job than people gave him credit for, uh, especially having seen most of the Snyder Cut at this point. But. Um, I think, I, you know, and then again, maybe just Clooney was too, maybe he's just too suave, you know? Yeah. He's so good looking, that man. He's just so good looking. What do we do with that? I don't know. I, 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 I met him in a bar at two o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas once. And two of my old colleagues uh, were like whispering about it. And I was like, I'm, it was in Vegas. And I was like, I'm just going to walk over to him. And I was like, dude, can I just tell you that you're the best and we'd like to buy you a drink? And he's like, no. He's like, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. He's like, no, I'm good. Thank you very much. I was like, nice. he's, he's, by the way, beautiful shark skin suit sitting at the bar. And I was like, just amazing. I'm like, what are you doing? Just hanging out. He's like, I just finished playing basketball. I'm like, looked at his suit, looked up at him. I'm like, you're in a suit. He's like, 
I'm George Clooney, buddy. And I was like, oh my God, I have to leave. And I walked away and he bought us a round of drinks and he left. He was sitting by himself at Wolfgang Pucks. It was so good. I'm like, I just met Danny Ocean in real life. <laughs> the I'm George Clooney, buddy, is the best thing I think I've ever heard a person tell me of a story of meeting a celebrity. It was so good. I was like, you're in a suit, man. He's like, I'm George Clooney, buddy. I was like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh... Let's continue down our endeavors. What's okay. on your list? What's your first one? So I'm going to go in a different uh, order than I thought it was now because you did that. So I'm going to start uh, on August 7th of 2015 with a blistering 27% on Metacritic. 2015, six years ago. Okay. Uh, I will give you tough to give you people. Give you... Um, Dan Castellaneta and Mary Pat Green. Okay, you're you're being mean here. I, I know what you're doing. I don't know if I give you. Uh, it's okay. Keep going. Okay, here's my five words, and then I can give you somebody else if I need to. Stretched, rocked, fired, should have vanished. Stretched. What was the second one? Rocked. Rocked? Fired. Should have vanished. Stretched. I, I don't know why I'm thinking this. Maybe it's because I did a comic book movie, but part of me my, in my head is the Fantastic Four movie. Nailed it. Oh! Hey-o! Hey! Yeah, that's it. So um, this is with Miles Teller, Michael, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, and Jamie Bell, who I think if any one of those two together only makes sense in this movie. Although Miles Teller and J Michael G. Borden... B. Jordan have worked together before. So this is Josh Trank. And literally, dude, I just want to sit down and be like, what happened? Like, just I, what I, happened? I can't even imagine what happened to that movie, by the way. I, I've seen it too. It's so jarringly bad. It is genuinely one of the most puzzling movies I've ever seen. Listen, this is after 2015. We are in the realm of this these movies being made well and working, right? Stan Lee refused to do a cameo in this. Like, what is happening? Like, dude, the cast is so good. Fantastic Four is such a cool comic book that is untethered to the rest of the universe. So you could really, really do something super interesting with it. Not, not only that, so much prior art. Like, so much prior art. Like, that's the beauty of comic book movies. They've got lots of the comics. All they got to do is pick a couple, mash up the stories, and you got two hours of movie. Yeah, I just, like, dude, this kid, first of all, like, who is he? Like, I, I don't, like, I don't understand how he got the job. He's not really worked since. Like, he had, like, one title, I think, before this. Um, even the ones in the early 2000s were, like, they had redeem like redeeming qualities. This one was such a dumpster fire. And like, I know that he tweeted at one point that like he had a two and a half hour version of this that was a completely different movie and like, blah, 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 whatever. Sure. But I just, I, dude, I don't get it. You've got huge budget. You've got Marvel. You've got absolutely like you've got marketing to spend. You've got an amazing cast. You have, like you said, tons of previous work to, to build off of. And this is what you came out with. Like, I just need to know like what happened. Like, I just want to know what happened. 
I think the thing that drives people like you and I with movies is, you know, we're product managers in our jobs, which means we think about like what it takes to build a quality product and how to put that out in front of people. And so anytime that there's something that is a bad product, I just, I always sit there and I'm puzzled. Like who made what decision? Like how did this go so wrong? Yeah. And who, who approved of each step along the way? Like somebody signed off on the script, right? Somebody with a really big, big checkbook. Now they either were like, oh, you're doing a, a Marvel movie in the middle of the MCU. Here you go, money. Right. Right. What, what are you guys doing with it? Well, we're gonna we're gonna abandon some people on this lava planet for a while and we're gonna have a bunch of like plot mechanics that make no sense. We're gonna really lean into the idiot plot plot line story heavy. Um, but there might be some cool CGI. Somewhat, but not all of it, because some of it we're gonna phone in at the last second. Right. It was just yeah, the thing with this one is like at what point the, the real question I have for Josh Trank is at what point did you scream pivot and nobody said yes, or did you never scream pivot? Because right. like he he fist fought Miles Teller, he didn't want Kate Mara, he was like bullied her on set the whole time, nobody got along, most of the people in this movie haven't seen it. Like, there's no way that that happened in the last two weeks of production. That happened way before. <laughs> that happened way before. And you guys just went like, we'll finish it. Like, that's the part I don't get. I just want to know the, mecha- the inner workings of how this thing actually didn't get shelved. Like, that's my question. I, I, I want the same answer. There you go. <laughs> All right. I'm going to move from here and take us into some happier places. Let's go. I'm ready. All right. I'm going to structure these in the, I think, the order for my last four, the order in which I want to have the conversations. And so I'm going to start. With 1996, a Metacritic score of 66. Okay. I'm going to guess this is unguessable to you, by the way. Uh, cool. No, not not the movie. Just like it's just not a. We I don't think we've ever even talked about this movie on 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 the cast before. Oh, interesting. I will give you Lumi Cavazos. I might be pronouncing that poorly. Cavazos, probably Cavazos. Uh, who's a female? That's a female name. Lumi is. She's a, she plays a. She's a woman. And uh, <laughs> also in this movie is James Caan. James Caan. Nineteen ninety six. You said. Hmm. Lumi Caan. A five word, me buddy. Did you plot the rappery? Did you plot the rappery? Robbery. Did you plot the robbery? James Caan. Robbery movie. Um, Snatch came out later than that. So Heat came out around that time. James Conn wasn't in Heat, was he? He was not. Ah, he might have been. I know, that was a huge, amazing cast. So many people in Heat. It wasn't Heat. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what this is. This is Wes Anderson directing Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. Isn't that the movie you like the least of his? It is, actually. Uh, not the least, actually. A couple of his more recent ones I didn't like as much. Uh, Rushmore is my favorite of his by a long shot. Of course everybody loves, Yeah. But, you know, everybody loves Tenenbaums. I'm, I'm a Rushmore guy. And so I almost went with Rushmore on this, but I realized the conversation I wanted to have was almost the fortune-telling one. I, I, I wanted to know, back then, did he know he'd be a Wes Anderson? Did he know that, that he'd have a certain style of these movies and that Hollywood would keep letting him do it and that people would keep flocking to them and he'd start building this cast of people he'd keep working with? And again, these kind of quirky tales, these great characters. I mean, I, I, I can't think actually 
in recent uh, uh, times of a director who creates more interesting characters in their movies. Agreed. Like, it's not to say his directing style is better than anyone or et cetera, but just you go through all these movies one by one, like go through, like just rewatch Rushmore and like each of them is just so weird, you yeah. know, so weird. Yeah. So I want to know, like, how does he come up with them? Who, where, where is the inspiration coming from? Did he think the style would work? Does he, does he, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and could he picture from this basically indie film? Like they somehow got, I mean, the Wilson brothers were nobodies at this time. Yep. James Kahn was no nobody. Sure wasn't. So Bottle Rocket was my first selection. So do you have um, any guesses about where Wes Anderson might be on my list? Uh, I have Wes. Uh, no, but I would not be surprised if he was your fifth. So Wes Anderson is on my no touchy touchy. I couldn't use him. And the reason was because I started going through his movies. And again, we made a point of like, it has to be about the movie. You can't just sit down with somebody you like. And I couldn't pick one. I couldn't pick one. Right. I was like, I want to pick Rushmore. I want to pick Bottle Rocket. I probably would pick Rambuda Past Hotel. I love Moonrise Kingdom. I was like, I don't, I can't. I'm just going to strike him because I can't pick any of them. So he's he was my number fifth. He was my fifth. Like, just you just can't use him. All right. Fair enough. But I, I think I have the other four, by the way. Okay. Uh, I should have, I, actually, this should have been predictable. Because uh, I know you talk about him, possibly both Andersons. Now that I think about it, you might have the other Anderson too. I'm not sure. The the thing that, but but Battle Rock in particular, it's because it's like his freshman movie, right? And so totally getting good. all of that story out would just be so interesting. I'd love to have the conversation, sort of being able to t- like with with like a time machine in play. Like, hey, did you know you become Wes Anderson? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fun. No, I love it. Listen, I, I mean, I can't. Like I can't knock the pick because I would want to pick him every time. Like I love him. Like that's that's why I couldn't pick him is because I couldn't pick which one to pick. So you picking a great one is a great pick. <laughs> so you're, you're if I, it's a table for three, you'll be there. Oh um, yeah, couldn't be more in. Could not be more. All right. In. Next up. All right, I'm going to use that to pivot into the next one, which is perfect. Uh, October 31st of 1997, with an 85% on the old Metacritic. October 31st, 1997, is that what you said? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, it's a tough cast, but not not the way the last one was. Let's do uh, William H. Macy and John C. Riley. 97, William H. Macy and John C. Riley. John C. Riley is going to be the confusing one for that because I know a lot of Macy's work. That's but cool. All right, go on. Uh, let's do the five words I'll give you are taboo filmmaking, full display. All, all I'm thinking right now is Cohen brother. Like I'm thinking of Fargo because of, Oh, that would, that's a, I, yeah, I could see where you're there. I don't think John C. Riley's in Fargo. I, I don't think he is either. So 97, I feel like this is a movie we've talked about recently too, isn't it? Not recently. It's come up before. It's a favorite of mine. All right, one more time on those five words. Taboo filmmaking, full display. Is this Boogie Nights? It is Boogie Nights. Yeah. So the other Anderson, which I wanted to, I was stuck with with PTA and Wes both. I was like, okay, I could easily dismiss both of you and, and that would be fine. 
But when it comes to Paul Thomas Anderson, who I love, and I, I know I like him more than you do, um, this particular movie stands out more than any of the other stuff he's done to me in a big way. And there's a lot of really cool lore about this movie in general. Like, you know, Burt Reynolds has never seen it and hates it, um, which is really funny. That just makes me funny. Um, William H. Macy wasn't like his, his agent begged him not to, to read the script. And then he read the script and he was like, of course, I'm going to take this. Uh, there's just lots of really interesting little pieces. More importantly, this cast, like when you think about Wahlberg, Reynolds, Cheadle, Graham, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Luis Guzman, and then William H. Macy, and most importantly, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just what? Like, what? Yeah. Like, you can't, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I would argue, is the best actor of a generation. Don Cheadle has kind of taken up that, like, he's so freaking good. Um, to get the kind of performance he got out of Wahlberg, William H. Macy's incredible. Julianne Moore is arguably one of the best actors of a generation. Like, there's just a lot of con consolidated talent in one spot. And I can't help but have a lot of questions about what that set was like. What decisions did you think were going to happen and go a certain way that you had made that then went totally different because of that cast? Uh, what did you think this movie was going to do? Like, you know what I right. mean? Because like, it was early enough in his career where it wasn't like, you're going to do great. Like, he had done shorts of stuff and then this. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, the only, he had done Hard Eight was the only full-length feature he had done before that. But then he did, like... Cigarettes and Coffee and the Dirk Diggler story as shorts. And those were both five and seven years beforehand. And so Magnolia is after this. After this. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I have literally, the, the one question I would want to throw in there is pertains to our early, uh, earlier episode on music and movies. I would love to know what other songs they considered when for the Sister Christian bit. So not just the Sister Christian bit, I have a, a whole line of questioning I would love to ask, which is what movies couldn't or what songs could you not afford? <laughs> I'll guarantee you there's a list of like BMI ASCAP stuff where they're like, well, that movie or you know that song's gone. Can't do this. You know, forget Credence. They're too expensive. But like I would love to know. I also would love to know what wound up on the cutting room floor because I bet with that cast, there's a lot of really usable material that they just didn't put in the movie. Fair point. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of a layup for me because I, everybody knows I love PTA and this movie in particular is like, this is an encroaching on my top five, top 10 of all time movies. But given this category, I was like, it. you know, I've done a really good job keeping this out. This has only ever made one other top five list um, and it was the based on a true story one, which was like 30, ah. 30 episodes ago. So I feel fine reusing it. Uh, so I've, I've I've kept it off, and for this one I couldn't because to be able to sit down with him, and the time machine thing is interesting. To sit down with him then versus now, I'd have two very different sets of questions. But I, I really right. want to talk about him about this movie anyway. So fair enough. I'm going to take us back further in time. I'm going to go to a near extreme opposite of your movie. Perfect. 1939. <laughs> Metacritic score of 92. Wow. In, in my old spreadsheet at the 48, AFI's 10th best movie of all time. Yikes. I'm even going to name the director in my uh, people clue for you because you're not going to get it from this director because I I had to look up the name myself. One, Noel Langley is the director of her movie. I'll give you one or two cast members, but I think this is one of those, like if I give you a cast member, it's either giveaway or not depending on your knowledge of the movie. 
Ray Bolger? No idea who that is. Okay. What about throwing Burt Lahr? I know who that is, but uh, it's not not bringing a movie to mind. Just bringing, a, oh, you know that name to mind. Okay. Who went behind the curtain? The Wizard? Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Okay, cool. Okay, go on. So in doing a little research, I, I, had, I had come into this whole thing like I'm going to pick some, I'm going to go look through old movies to find like where's one that I'd be like, let's sit down and have a chat. This is another pseudo time machine question. I'm going to be honest, like it's not just put me back in 1939. It's a little bit more of a question like what's it feel like to have made the movie that is considered the most watched movie of all time? Mm, cool. Like. Yeah. Would would you have made different choices knowing that? What what was that all about? Interestingly, also while researching this, apparently it was a very frictionful set. Wizard of Oz was not like there's a there's a famous quote apparently where it's like you must have had a lot of fun making this movie, and apparently looks at him like absolutely not. This was <laughs> this was super hard work, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I'd love to have that chat. I'd love to talk about some of the choices like. Uh, you know, spoiler, but the moment where it goes from black and white to color. Yeah. What was that all about? What was that feeling making this movie? What did people's reactions to that? Like, can you imagine thinking it up even as an idea? Cause it's right at the end, right at the beginning of color movies. Right. Yeah. And so to have this thing, did people know, I don't know what the original trailer was. There a trailer? Probably not. Right. Yeah. Wizard of Oz was already a beloved book. It was the most expensive uh, script purchase of all time to when, when it was made. And I'd love to know a bit more about that. And then whatever else is up with Mr. Langley and, you know, no sequels till like 50 years later. Did he want to do a sequel? Were there sequels in the forties? I don't know. That's <laughs> fair questions. All very fair questions. Yeah. This is actually a really fun pick because again, the, the, 50 years later, a conversation would have been the fun one. Because at the time, you, there's no – although if you could have measured the cultural impact at the time, then you were a fortune teller. Um, right. But, yeah, this is really interesting. I would not have gone this way, and this is a really fun angle. I liked it a lot. It's also, by the way, a phenomenal cast. So Ray Bolton, all of the cast was huge at the time. They would be like the – Avengers? Like the Boogie Knights. No, like you just said, like Margaret Hamilton – she apparently, by the way, had to do so much work on set because she's a very nice person, apparently. Like, like you know, when some people play bad guys, you're like, yeah, that, that, you can see that guy being a bad guy all the time. Sure. Margaret Hamilton was like the sweetest. It'd be like picturing Judy Garland as the Wicked Witch, apparently. Really? And she did an episode of, uh, of um, uh, Fred uh, Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood where she actually put on the costume to explain like witches are, aren't necessarily evil and all this other stuff. But again, like had to convince people that she was anything but the sweetest person ever. Langley last bit about this movie famously slapped Judy Garland in one scene. What? When she ha- he had to get her to slap because she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. And like, there was all this, you know, these days, by the way, end of, end of everything, right? Like Over. you couldn't even imagine, Over. but back, you know, back then, apparently immediately after filming the scene, she was like, I understand why you did. Like, it's almost like that first scene in Barry. If you remember the first episode of Barry. Sure do. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, Mr. Langley, great job on that Wizard of Oz movie. As I'd like t- to talk to you about it. <laughs> As it turns out. Good job, buddy. <laughs>
Uh, all right, I'll go to my next one now for something completely different. May 25th of 2000 with an okay. 80%. So it's a good movie in the year 2000. Yep. I will give you Thomas Lennon and one Stephen Tobolsky. Thomas Lennon, I know him. What was he in in 2000 with... Uh, this isn't the game. Nope. Okay. What's the five words? Five words are forward good as not story. Uh, is it Memento? <laughs> yeah. Good clue. Was that a good clue? <laughs> Great clue. But now I got to cross Nolan off my list of people I was predicting you would have not included. <laughs> so Nolan was on the list and this one surfaced because I... Listen, in my head, first of all, they shot this in 25 days, and that blew my mind. I didn't know that. Second of all, in my head, this this is a Charlie Day meme with red string everywhere, and he's like just chain-smoking cigarettes, and he's strung out trying to figure out how this came together. Because – and there's like good – there's a decent amount of fodder about this, but like if I could really sit down one-on-one, open a bottle of scotch, and just be like, all right, Chris, let's talk off the record. How did this movie come together? Did you have a really good idea about how to film something and then fit a story to fit the filming? Or did you have a really good story and then had an idea about how to film it? And then how did you actually approach doing it? Because there's a, on the collector's edition, whatever, you can watch this story forward and it's fine. You know, it's like a, it's a fine story. Now, the fun part about the story is that the story is actually based on Memento Mori, which is his brother's book or his brother's story, which was released after this came out. So technically, Christopher Nolan got awards like like Oscar noms for this for original work, even though it was not original work, but the original work just wasn't published yet, which is also kind of I'm like, all right, so you had this story, you knew you wanted to do it, but was this like, so did he like he like mementoed himself. Yeah, he like mementoed himself. Like, <laughs> did you, did he time hop in the thing or did you time hop in the, I just want to know like from cradle to grave, like how this all came together. Like, and I want a timeline, pun and sort of intended. I, I think he incepted himself actually. Bong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, and the thing with Nolan, just quickly, the reason that I didn't mind using a Nolan piece is because all of the other Nolan pieces to me are are incredibly well done, but like not inherently interesting to talk to him about. I respect his aesthetic. He has one, and it's really, really well executed. Sure. But this one, A, super early, and B, just like it's a lot of weird stuff that like hasn't ever really been done as well again right like he did following before this so this as your second film is aggressively ambitious to be like i'm going to tell a moderately interesting story but in such a way that it's going to blow everybody's mind in half like that's a strong pitch man for like your second movie you know what i mean yeah agreed i i think and i I want to commend you on the choice because i actually think it's nolan's most distinctive directing where where his his work was was most required like being, I, I don't mean this to, to take away in any because I actually love all of what he's done. Although I still haven't seen Tenet, amazingly, um, I don't know why I haven't seen it. But anyhow, uh, he 
again, I think he does an amazing work. Interstellar sort of could have been done by a lot of people, you know, Memento required a certain everything. You know what? You're, You're actually putting my, you're making my argument for me in a better way. The thing with all of Nolan's other work, Inception would have been worse without him, but it could have been got, it could have been done. Yeah, yeah. Nobody else is making Memento. Nobody. Correct. Yeah, that, that's really well said. Yeah, so what you said is what I think. Thank you. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Good pick. I like that pick. I would sit down with Nolan anytime. Oh, my God. Uh, easy. Easy. By the way, I have to correct myself. I was misreading some of my notes, and I just want to make sure I – don't get chastised by anybody. Uh, I I read you the name of the writer of Wizard of Oz or the, the writer of the screenplay, not the name of the director. The name of the director is actually Victor Fleming, who, you know, did a couple of other things like a guy named Joe and, oh, you know, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. I was going to say, I know him. <laughs> yeah. So sorry about the little mix up. I just uh, had a little name game swaparoo there. That's why I have notes to ignore. Exactly. Listen, that's what I do every time. Wait for my fifth pick. It's going to get great. 1959. Metacritic score of 98. Whoa. IMDb's 135th most popular movie. Spreadsheet adjusted at 51.5. And AFI's 22nd top movie of all time. Sheesh. I'm pretty confident I can give you the lead actor and the director and you won't have it. But I could be wrong. I just want to have some fun with it. Okay. It is directed by Billy Wilder. Okay. The, the lead actor is Jack Lemmon. Oh, I love Jack Lemmon. 1959. Jack Lemmon. Um, oh, boy. I don't know. Who's hotter, Josephine or Daphne? Oh, uh, uh, Something Like It Hot? Yes. Oh, this is good. Yeah, I totally didn't go back this far in a meaningful way. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and to be to be really fair, to be fair, to be fair, Marilyn Monroe is the lead actor of the movie. I just couldn't have said it that way because that's, it would have been too giveaway. Yeah, Wilder Wilder Monroe, who apparently taxed the heck out of Mr. Wilder while making this movie. She could not remember lots of her lines. Like, there's a line like. Want some whiskey, uh, bourbon? I can't remember the which apparently took 50-something takes, and oh. every take she got the line wrong to oh, the God. point where the final take has her not facing camera, and nobody knows if she actually said the final version or not. That's brilliant. So it's things like that that I want to know about, but most importantly, it's 1959. It was a blackballing movie. It was a taboo topic. The first screening went poorly. It was uh, outlawed in Kansas because cross-dressing in 1959 was not okay in uh, any way. And I'd love to just have that conversation. Like what made him, why did, why was he the guy who wanted to push, push some barriers here right now? I don't think the movie from what I've read about it, it doesn't seem like they were really trying to push the point on like, this wasn't a transgender rights movie. This was a comedy about a couple of, couple of musicians hiding from the mob wearing women's clothing, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like, we're going to bring a big topic to, we have a taboo topic, you know, and, and which I've avoided mostly for all of my list today. Um, but I still think there's something that, that led him dabble in an area where he must have known, right? Like yeah. th- this was not an okay thing to do. And then as ended up being considered 
basically the top comedy of all time by many people. Yeah. So I would love to have that conversation. I'd love to know what, how, how he felt about making something that ended up being very barrier breaking and, and pushing envelopes uh, at a time where the world wasn't really doing much of that. You're just, yes, dude. Yeah. All everything you just said. Um, um, no, really, this is like another really smart, like clever idea. I, again, just didn't go back that far, but yeah, like I guess I've never really thought about how taboo that probably was. It was uh, it was a little taboo. By the way, do you know what else Billy Wilder has done? Do you know his whole? The only character? thing, the only thing that I know off the top of my head that I know he did was Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, so he did Sunset Boulevard. He did. Uh, he wrote part of the, uh, Sabrina, Double Indemnity, Casino Royale, the first one, Mutiny what? on the Bounty, Ocean's Eleven, the original, huh. The Apartment. Witness for the Prosecution, which is great. I mean, Stalag 17. Like, it's an amazing list. Amazing, this guy. Like, this would, this is like any of our... This is like a Spielberg. And then all of a sudden... I guess maybe this is like a, like a Schindler's List for a Spielberg kind of thing. Like, maybe, uh, maybe that's a little... That's not exactly the best comparison. But it's more of like choosing to do something because you can get away with doing what you want to do. Right? In, in that way, it, it's exact, that's exactly what Schindler's List was. Like in, right, in that right. in that sense, that that makes total sense. So uh, great pick, love it. Uh, I I'm going to go into a very different direction now. So May 9th, nineteen ninety seven, with a fifty two. Ninety seven fifty two. Okay. I will give you Luke Perry and Gary Oldman. Ninety seven. 52, Luke Perry. It's not the one where he's riding a bull or something, right? <laughs> no, but that's funny. Eight seconds? When I hear Luke Perry, that VHS cover art literally comes to mind often. Is this Cool World? No, but that would have been a good one. <laughs> All right. What's your five words? Earth, water, wind, fire, spandex. Okay, so this is um, uh, the fifth element. It sure is. Which is spandex, as we all know. Correct. That is the fifth element. Uh, so, dude, Luke Besson is so weird. and So weird. I have so many questions for him. And I have so many questions for him, hard stop. But I could make most of my questions about him, about the fifth element, pretty easily. Because if you spend any amount of time looking into how absolutely wild some of the decision-making for this movie was at the time. It is a treasure trove of, wait a minute, what just happened? Like, dude, so over the top, the divine language spoken by Lilu was like invented by Besson. And then Mila Mila Jovovich and him worked on it together to expand the universe of the language. What? This is not a movie. This isn't Lord of the Rings, bro. Like, why did you make the language? <laughs> like, it's absolutely crazy. Um, he he just did, like, really interesting stuff. I actually think this movie's underappreciated from a directorial standpoint because he did really interesting things like uh, all the fight scenes are in very, very broad daylight. Hmm. There's no dark fight scenes. And it was intentional because he's like, I'm tired of dark quarters. I want you to see what's happening. Right. Right. That's cool. He, unlike our friend Misa, George Lucas, had CGI available to him in 1997 and went, nay, nay, I want to build creatures. Right. And and he went Henson. Like, that's what he did. 
um, which I just think is is really interesting. I also, most interestingly, is that Luke Besson wrote this in high school as a trilogy. As a trilogy? Yeah. And then years later, decided to condense it into one script and then decided that in condensing it into one script, he wanted to make the future, his exact quote was, the future is very funny. And he just wanted to make the future funny and not scary or terrifying or doomsday. All of that, and there's like Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker and Mila Jo, there's like, this movie is such at odds with itself about being like, really artistically interesting and like having really thoughtful stuff behind its like direction and like just how deliberate the script is. And then all these other like Lilo Dallas multi-pass moments where it's just so schizophrenic. I want to talk about everything that made this a thing. I think it's a really fun choice because you're right. Like, by the way, phenomenal cast, like throughout this whole cast is amazing. Wild. Right. And it's unlike a lot of uh, Luke's other work, you know, most of his stuff isn't so far out there. And then all of a sudden it gets out there again, right? Like he, he loves dabbling in this like extremes of storytelling. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It, yeah I, listen, I forever love this movie as a movie, not a film, but I also would love to sit down and talk to him because there are some real film elements to this otherwise playful jokey movie. Like I, one of the things I read is that they took 80 workers, five months to build the models used in fifth element. Really? It's amazing. Like, dude, the amount of energy that went into a movie that I think is regarded as like a, a cheeky sci-fi, like sci-fi flick. But then when you like look into all this stuff, and the reason I'd love to talk to him is because I actually think this movie is way more thoughtful than I ever give it credit for. And I love this movie, by the way. Like, I love this movie. This is a, definitely a cult classic. My hunch is on this movie is that it's one of those absolutely needs a director's cut to sit out there for, for nerds like me and you to watch what he wanted to do because I think, I think it's got bad reviews because my hunch is he had to cut stuff that made it, you know, it's like the Snyder again, Snyder cuts a good, particularly timely. Um, and, and look, I did not like the first version of justice league and haven't loved a lot of Snyder's work. I think I, I actually, I love his vision. I just don't like his movies. In this case, I'm now watching the Snyder cut of justice league. It, it's quite good. Uh, you know, it different, but, but, much much better than the than the theatrical. I wonder what else Basson could have done, did do here. I yeah, it's a really good point. I'll bet you there's a five hour version of this somewhere. <laughs> I, I'd also love to, if I were at that table. I want to know about how much he had to push or rein in Chris Tucker. There would be a, a, at at minimum twenty minutes of Chris Tucker talk because I love and, Chris Tucker. And Ruby Rose is one of the weirdest characters ever. And I want to know more and less at the same time. Yeah, This is just one of those things where, uh, again, this is a movie that I absolutely adore and have not talked about as much as I could have. And this felt like a good opportunity to because Luke Besson, like of all his other work, this is the only one I want to go deep on. Um, the other stuff is interesting for sure. But like this one, I want to go deep. All right. Well, we're going to move nearby to 1995. Ooh, okay. I'm back to a modern-ish era. With a Metacritic of 54, the two people I will give you, because I think you're going to get this one, so I'll try with Angeli, Angela Means and Regina King. Oh, I love Regina King. Uh, nothing happening yet. How's your neck and back? Uh, is this Friday? 
This is Friday. Hey, Chris Tucker again. <laughs> as soon as we started talking to Chris Tucker, I'm like, well, that, that's going to make the next one a little easier to guess. I would love to sit down with F. Gary Gray, who, by the way, his career is massively blown up since, since this movie. Yeah. And I know these interviews are out there and I've seen actually some bits of it, but I would love to have a much more in-depth conversation on, you know, this is 95, which means they were built making the movie in 93, 94, which is right, right after, I mean, it's now a few years after do the, do the right thing, but you're fully in some of the other heavy, like bringing, bringing these topics to light kind of the different, different parts of the country, a lot of stuff in LA. I'd love to know how he felt, you know, taking, I don't, I don't have touchy subjects, the phrasing I would use, but like, you know, you're a year after boys in the hood, which caused riots in movie theaters and shootings yeah. and whatnot. Uh, and new Jack city and all these other, again, amazing poignant pieces of work. And you come out with this comedy that is beyond irreverent. Oh my God. Is in many ways, probably to the wrong audience, reinforcing negative stereotypes. Right. And yet it's a movie that, as far as I've been able to tell, is generally well-liked on many different demographics, right? Like, it's it's approachable. I can watch this movie. Hey, look, I can't empathize with life in the hood. I, I have no idea, right? I'm aware of that. Uh, but I can watch this movie and get fully into it and fully into this life and, like, always got cheese, no burger. And all, like, right, no, yeah. Sugar, no what? Or uh, Kool-Aid. You know, all the different things. I mean... The performances are great. How he got all the actors to do what they did. Um, also, by the way, you know, not just Chris Tucker. It's uh, Zeus is in this one too. Tiny Lister, uh, who was Tiny Lister's and yeah. Also, yeah, they're both. They, he was he was also played a very fun role. He was the president yeah. in in uh, <laughs> Yeah. So anyhow, it, you know, it's it's again, it's on the edge of a touchy subject. I mean, sorry, the actual thing obviously is, but for for purposes of the podcast, uh, and just hear the how, how he felt he could get away with it and then not only do so but do so i would say epically i mean we're basically this has just turned into jt's favorite movie podcast because friday is one of my favorite movies of all time i think you're hitting on what i always was so impressed with that movie is that it was one of the first movies that i do think um had two full feet in urban culture and the urban world and still managed to nail universal themes so well that it didn't matter. Right. So that, right. that level of uncomfortability that existed in a lot of the other stuff that was being made at that time, that line broke. Like this was Dave Chappelle before Dave Chappelle. Everybody right. could watch the dad in the bathroom scene and the, <laughs> You know, I like pig's feet. Everybody get all those jokes. Even if you don't know that full culture, you understood the reference. Right. And the, the, the neighborhood bully and the got fired on your day off. Dude, Friday is so classic. It's so classic. This is a great it, pick. It's up there in my most quotables movie. Quotable oh. movies. But interestingly, like I would put it up like if I were doing the, the 64 bracket, most quotable movies, this probably makes at, at least an elite eight. Uh, I was going to say this is elite eight for sure. And it'd be an upset to not get into the, into the final four. I mean, this movie is so good. I'm actually really genuinely bummed out. I didn't think of Friday. Huh. Yeah. Well, there you have it. This I think it loses in the elite eight against, if it's up against Caddyshack and otherwise it definitely makes its way to the final four. I, yeah. I mean, listen, whoever, 
it, it just depends on if Anchorman's in your bracket, bro. Like that's what's gonna that's that that's that's what's gonna matter. <laughs> it's all bracket logic. <laughs> uh, all right, my last one is gonna be uh, very different from what we just talked about, but I was actually most excited to, to talk about this, and it's funny because I had made reference to it recently and had not thought about it for years, and now I want to watch it again and again and again. Uh, this movie came out on August 27th of 2002 with an 85% on Metacritic. I think I can give you basically everybody except one person in the cast, and it wouldn't matter. I will give you Maggie Chung and Tony Chiwao Lung. 2002, 85, names I don't know. Right. Um, the <laughs> This is not about the movie, but it, the, the five words is to help you orient because you might remember how this movie came to exist for us. Uh, so the five words is thank you, Quentin Tarantino. Thank you, Tarantino. 2000, would you say five, 2005? 2002. 2002. 20 years ago. Thank you, Tarantino. Cast. So you, you, you basically said you can give me like the whole cast I wouldn't know about. Uh, the, so Jet Li. Okay. Uh, uh, is it Hero? Hero. No. Okay. Yeah. That's, that was his biggest uh, overseas movie. Yeah. So the reason that I, I include... So first of all, I want to give the director... So this is Yumao Zhang is the director and writer. Okay. And th- this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen and also heard. And I'm an audiophile, obviously music guys. There's a reason... This, oh gosh, dude. I I mean, I've watched some of these scenes over hundreds of times. Really? The attention to detail in this movie, like the reason I want to talk to Yumao specifically is um, it was an obsession. This movie was an obsession. Um, There were 18,000 extras used in this movie. Um, They filmed over three weeks for two hours a day at very precise times for this one scene that's under three minutes long because he insisted that the lake was completely still during filming. (laughs) He had his crew go out and get more yellow leaves for the Battle of Yellow and Red and bring the yellow leaves to the set, but real leaves, not make them. He had a red dye used for the original red gin armor and didn't like it on film. And so they recut all of the thousands of costumes because he didn't like the the hue of red. That level of obsession is fascinating to me. So is there one like detail that you're like, you just want to get under the hood of like what? Yep. So there's a blue that this, that sounds like we set this up. We didn't that. So the sound in this movie is what's special to me. Ang Lee is the guy I always think of visually stunning. Everything Ang Lee does is just absolutely gorgeous. Hulk! 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 I'm sorry. Almost, I, had, I, had a, I had a green thing stuck in my throat there. There's 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 nice parts in that movie, <laughs> visually. <laughs> um, listen, just visually this was like, the, it, it was. this is an unreal movie, but the reason that it's unreal visually is because so much of it was real, which is why it's special, right? And that's just cool. But the audio in this is unbelievable. There's there's two scenes. There's the arrow scene and there's a blue room scene. The blue room is a, is a minute and 37 seconds or something like that. Yeah. It is genuine perfection. Like you, if you see how that scene opens at about seven to 10 seconds in, you can close your eyes and keep your eyes closed the rest of the scene. 
and you'll see the whole scene in your head exactly as it un- as it unfolds, which in an audio sense is a masterpiece. Yeah. If you can set a scene and then close your eyes and through sound get the rest of the scene perfectly, which by the way, it's perfectly that you'll get it. I I got I just want to know. I want to know what were you asleep? Was it mushrooms? What happened the day that, <laughs> that scene came to you? Because that's it's not it doesn't get done anymore, man. Like I just there's not a lot of stuff that sticks out like that particular scene does. But there's also the reason I'm interested in him and the reason this is on the list and it's my favorite pick is there's lots of those little moments and he was neurotic to the point of crazy for each of them. And the movie's two hours long. It's awesome. I got. A, I just want to know. I want to know everything about it. I love it. I, I remember when this era of, of the, you know, the mostly Hong Kong inspired martial arts movies was coming. This, the Crouching Tiger was obviously the big, big, big one of them all. Yep. Uh, Hero, I saw. I saw it once. I, I, I obviously didn't have. I probably watched it on a crappy screen or something like that. But I, I remember enjoying it. I don't, you know, it, it's it's definitely the one that's, the, those are the two. That and Crashing Tiger are the ones that sort of up-leveled the most. Um, and Jet Li was so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch, dude. So much fun to yeah. watch. And the, and the reason, like, this movie, I think a lot of people think Tarantino did it because it was produced by him because he fought tooth and nail to get it brought over here because the studios in the U.S. were like, subtitles are a no-go. We just can't right. do it. You got to dub it. And they were like, no. We're not dubbing this movie. Like, did we mention there's 10,000 extras? This guy painted 300 horses black for four scenes. We're not dubbing this movie. Like, they just wouldn't do it. And Tarantino, being Tarantino at that point, like, was like, we'll bring it over. And they did. And it was, I think there's there's a cool piece of trivia. Which, it was the first foreign language film to open number one at the box office in the U.S. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Good choice, buddy. I like that. That's a very, I was never predicted that. Yeah. All right. So before we get into Contender Bomb... We got to ask, all right, so you know one of them is Wes Anderson. Do you have any other guesses for people that I, I said I couldn't talk about? I have three guesses, and I think if, if it hadn't been sprung on me, I probably could have gone the fourth. Uh, maybe I'll do it real time. So here are the three. Spielberg? Okay. No. Oh, all right. Here are the two. Finchner? No. Oh, here's the one. <laughs> eyebrows. Uh, eyebrows is on the list, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, I might have taken, wow. Well, now I'm definitely all sorts of messed up on, on you. Uh, all right. So here's, so you got Anderson, you got eyebrows, which is Martin Scorsese, just in case somebody doesn't get that reference. Although you should, um, along the same lines of eyebrows as Coppola. I, it was just too much, too much stuff, too much stuff. You know, it's funny. I didn't put him. I didn't write him down right away because I actually didn't think you were as into his stuff as I was. Um, that's the other reason why I don't have like. Well, okay, I would probably put John Hughes on the list, but that's more my stuff than your stuff. I thought about Hughes, but I didn't because again, I could, I could pick a movie of his I would want to talk to him the most about, um, but he, he just didn't make the list. But yeah, Coppola and Eyebrows were both. It's just it's both depth and breadth is just too much. Like you've just done, yeah. even the stuff I don't like of yours, I could probably spend two hours talking to you about. Uh, Anderson, you got so the next one is Woody Allen. Oh yeah, okay. Mostly because he's gross, um, but but also because he's a mate. Like I, again, separating art from the man. Yeah, he's still Woody Allen, but I just don't want to. I don't want to sit near him actually. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was Stanley Kubrick because, he, like, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk to him about 
and none of it really surfaced because all of it's pretty much the same. But then also, I just kind of want to, I don't know if I do or don't really want to talk to him for a long time. Because weird, weird, weird guy. Weird guy. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair characterization. Cooper could be an odd, a little bit yeah. of an oddball. Yeah. He's, just a, he's an odd duck, you know. Yeah. So, so those, and again, most of them is because of the breadth. Most of them just okay. have too much stuff to pick from. Anderson is... You know, I don't know if he belongs on the list. If you go like eyebrows, Coppola, Allen, Kubrick, Wes Anderson, probably a little bit of a stretch for Wes. Um, but his aesthetic is so similar that nothing rose to the surface. So he might go. I, I don't know if I'm going to agree with that. I think by the time he's done with his career, we will look at him and like remember he only started with Bottle Rocket. So his he's got late. That's '96, I think it was. Uh, so comparing that to Scorsese and Coppola from the seventies, you know, let's see in 20 years. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, I think that, I mean, it's almost been Ep- 20 years. Episode, uh, 397. We'll revisit Wes Anderson's career. Right. Did Anderson hold up? <laughs> Actually, that, that was terrible math. Everybody would be more like episode 3000 or something like that. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, all, all right, right, sir. Let's do contender pong. Okay. 1980 Metacritic 48. Pick one pool or pond. I have no idea. Caddyshack. Oh, fair. Uh, all right. Uh, 1995 with a 56. Worst Mad Max on water. Waterworld? Yep. <laughs> 2008, Metacritic 79. Barely made. Pond, by the way, Caddyshack, I, I self-eliminated from my top five, even though I would love to talk to, to, to the, I mean, amazing. Um, this one, so 2008, Metacritic 79. Did you solve icing problem? Did you solve icing problem? What year is this? 2008. 2008. Did you solve it? I want to make it a hockey movie, but I don't think it's a hockey movie. It's not a hockey movie. It's uh, Iron Man. Oh, did you solve the icing problem, JT? Uh, that was a good, that was a really, really, really good clue that I just missed entirely. For me, it, it's, it really almost made the cut because Iron Man is why we have the MCU. Yeah. And it's like, as, as any comic book fan, especially from back then, would know, Iron Man is like a, a, a B-tier superhero. Yeah. So one of those movies that, like, you don't have a lot of draw for. There's no, like, we've, we've had lots of lousy comic book movies. How did, did Favreau know? Like, did he, did they know? Did Kevin Feige know? Like, was all that going to happen? Gosh, like, like, it's, it's so, like, the time machine there would be so fascinating. Yeah, I, um, I I removed Marvel from this list entirely because I could probably do top five Marvel movies I want to spend an hour with the director on. <laughs> would you what, what would make the top one really quick? Uh, it would I actually I think it would be Iron Man. Mine it would be Iron Man, but my second one is uh, YTD from uh, Thor Thor Ragnarok. Same, that would be my second. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do similar vein. Very different success rate. 2008 with a 49%. Could have been good superhero movie. 2008, what was another? It's not Iron uh, Hulk? No, you hate this movie. Peter Berg's a director. Uh, I don't... Is it... No, I don't remember. I don't know. Hancock. Oh, yeah, I hate that movie. <laughs> I, but I but I hate that movie because of the marketing. I, I think I should just now now that it's been like a decade and I've forgotten how they pitched it, maybe just rewatch it as a movie. Or is it still awful? No. See, the thing is, I I actually the reason I want to talk to Peter Berg about it is because I want to be like, what's the I, one question, Pete? What are the three things you do differently to make that land better? 
because I actually think it had all the makings of being pretty, pretty good. And I, was, is it the marketing? Would you change three things in the story? I don't know. I just want to know what would happen because I think that that place could live in a very different place in our ethos if they did like two or three small things. Fair enough. Uh, 2018 Metacritic of 62. Do you like red cups? 2018? Mm-hmm. Red cups. All I can think of is Anna Kendrick and singing cups, but that was from like 2013. I have no idea. Solo. Solo. Oh, Solo. I literally am so dumb. Okay. It took me way too long to get that. Okay. Well, it's not just a joke. It was actually the, the code name of the movie when they were shipping out the reels. It was The movie was called Red Cups. Um, I would love to just hear a bit about the Ron Howard takeover of someone else's work and Sure. I, and I, again, I will I will live and die by saying Solo is a top five Star Wars movie, maybe a top three. Like it's so much better than people give it credit for. So much better. It's it surely lives in the we didn't need the story. Fully agreed. It wasn't th- fine, but put all that aside. Just go watch it. It's yeah. fun. It's well done. No arguments. Uh, 1997 with an 82 percent, which I could not believe. Uh, Danny Zucker goes Max Cage. Danny Zucker goes Max. Danny Zucker goes Max Cage in 2008? Yeah. No, sorry. That's 1997. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 1997 oh, oh, with, with oh. 82. Oh, my gosh. Uh, is it Face Off? Yeah, with John. I, oh. I want to I sit down with John Woo and hear everything about those two on set for like months. It's, I, I know you love Grease, by the way, because it's Danny Zuko. Whatever. <laughs> you gotta get, uh, that's what it came to me. I'm like, it's not Zucker. And I'm like, who's the Zucker? I Listen, if you didn't believe that I've not seen Greece and refused to, there's your proof. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's never dying with us, buddy. Uh, 1984. Oh, yeah, I missed this one. 1984, Metacritic 92. How loud is your stereo? 84. Say anything? No. God, there's such a good answer to this, JT. Let's try one more time. 1984, so before say anything. How loud how how about how loud does stereo go? Uh yeah. Is this a Hughes thing? Am I at least in the right world? No, you're in a totally different world. I have no idea. Mad Max classic. Mad Max? No, mine goes to eleven. Oh, spinal tap. Yeah. Rob Reiner. I mean, I love the chat Princess Bride, but there's like every interview on Earth is out there already. And I've even read the book on making it and all that. But Spinal Tap would be fun to chat about. That's a good one. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, 1993 with a 59%. Grifter steals wrong suitcase. 93? Yep. Uh, I know. I'm sure I know this movie. It's not Reservoir Dogs. You're in the right world, though. Yeah. No, I know I am. Oh, I don't know. Give me what, what so you got. Uh, Tony Scott from True Romance. True Romance. Thank you. I, I never remember that one for some reason. 1986 Metacritic score of 61. Is there a Sausage King? Oh, uh, I don't remember who did Ferris Bueller. Was it? It wasn't. Was it Hughes? Yeah, it was Hughes. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted one Hughes movie in there, and, and really the topic is like, what's it like to define an entire decade in movies? Yeah. Is, is kind of the question. <laughs> yeah. My. my my entire conversation with John Hughes would just be me saying thank you a bunch and, yeah. then, and then quoting his movies to him. Uh, 
November of 2014 with an 87 retired Batman shaky cam movie. What year? Uh, 2014. Retired Batman shaky cam movie? Uh, retired Batman. Is this Birdman? Yeah. So, I, yeah, Alejandro Iratu. I would love to just sit down and be like, why, bud? Fair enough. Uh, 1996, Metacritic 71. Do you always double down? Rounders? Swingers. Swingers. Uh, I got caught. Wrong card game. Yep. Uh, 2009 with an 83. Big budget blue people. Avatar? Uh, Yeah. I would like to just talk to James Cameron. Oh, yeah. James Cameron would be a great conversation. For sure. Uh, 85, Metacritic 87. Did you find the plutonium? Uh, Back to the Future? Yeah. Is that, okay, July 3rd, 19, yeah, it came out on my birthday. My actual birthday, that's right. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that they have a thing that you can, they will, this movie can never be re- rebooted? Yes. Yeah, you, you taught me that in this podcast. <laughs> ah, well, then avid listeners know I've said that twice. <laughs> um... Let's do 2010 with a 79% mind bending acting and ballet. My only ballet thing I can think of is Black Swan. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky did some really interesting stuff in that movie, and I want to talk about it. Yeah, I, I you know I thought about Pi for a while, um, but didn't go there. So instead, I'll go to 95 Metacritic 77. Did you make the lineup, Rudy? Usual suspects. Lineup, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm guessing well for your clues, but I'm missing the movies entirely. No, I, uh, yeah, I think I, I think if this were like name two movies with the same clue, like that would yeah. be an interesting one. Uh, 2005 with a 94 percent feelings, feeling, feelings creates feelings. What year? <laughs> 2005. Is it Goodwill Hunting? No, this is Inside Out. Just because I'm obsessed, oh. I want to use this movie as many times as possible. That is fair. All right, this is my last one because uh, we already did episode one. So, 1991, Metacritic of 72. Was there a magic bullet? What year is this? 91. Was there a magic bullet? 91. This is another one where I'm going to be super sad and can't figure it out. Is this Tarantino? No. It's uh, Oliver North for JFK. Oh, Magic Bullet. Never would have gotten that one. Did I say Oliver North? I meant to say Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. That's okay. Different um, yeah. All right. Last one, May 12th, 2000, with a 9%. <laughs> and the only clue I'm going to give you is maybe worst movie ever. Budget. Uh, you know, if you hadn't said Waterworld because it had that shtick for a long time, it's like, but you've already done Waterworld. So, wait, 2000? And it's not, is this, it's not, a, it's not Star Wars? What, what big budget movie? I really want to know this, but I want to guess it. Can you give me one person who's in it? No, can I, I'll give you another five words. Danny Zuko with face tubes. <laughs> Oh, Battlefield Earth. Oh. Yeah, I want to sit down with Roger Christian and just have him pitch me that movie again and see if he still thinks it's a good idea. 
Now, I'll tell you something funny. I read the book that it's based on, um, the uh, L. Ron Hubbard, not quite the uh, cult. Sorry sure. if I'm offending listeners, but I'm going there. Uh, uh, so the book Battlefield Earth was not based on his whole uh, pseudo-religion stuff. It's actually a pretty decent sci-fi book. It's not bad. I believe it. Listen, if you if you just read the briefing of that and go, the movie's about these things, I think you'd go, all right, uh, yeah, let's make a movie. And then if you see more than five minutes of that movie, you go, abort, don't do this, bad idea. So, all right, ma'am, that's the list, which means we get to pick next week's top five. And because this week was your week to pick and go first and do the things, you get to do the things and pick the things. I got a thing. What is it? It's sort of a non and a non. That sounded really weird. Non and a non and a non and a non. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's two non things. What we are going to do, JT, is the top five movies with a non-actor in a non-cameo. So what I mean is an athlete, a rapper, or other form of musician, or, or even just any form of celebrity who has managed to play a, a character that is more than just a cameo. Doesn't have to be the lead, could have, you know, short screen time, but, you know, has lines, does stuff, etc. I like it. All right. So non-actor, non-cameo, which also means they're not playing themselves, right? Correct. Can't just show up like I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know who to go with here. I'm, I'm Kim Kardashian. I don't know. Has she even done a movie yet? Well, she's done one, but we're not going to talk about it on this podcast. Uh, I was going to say basically everybody from this is the end. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except they're all actually actors. Well, not everybody. There's got to be at least one or two random like Machine Gun Kelly. Some, there's got to be. Probably. You know, I'm sure there's somebody in there for sure. All right, sir. As always, this was fun. Uh, to our lovely listeners and fans, please follow us on the things or don't. But just keep listening because that's all we actually care about. Uh, next week we'll do some na 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 na. Hey, <laughs> na 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 na. Hey hey hey. Goodbye.